today on the podcast, we have my friend, Dr. Zach S. Wine. He was one of my favorite seminary professors many years ago. He was one of my preaching mentors early on in the days of the vine. He's written numerous books that we're going to talk about today a little bit, but the big concept we talk about is what we would call ordinary is the adventure. The adventure is the ordinary. And so I think this is a really important concept for our discipleship, and I really uh, commend this interview to you. So you have a new baby boy. How old is he? 17 months. Yeah. And so you're, I think you're about four years older than me. So you're 48. I'm 51. Oh, so, you are? Yeah. So even just a tad older. Okay. But, but I don't mind. 48, that's that's fine. That's a good... <laughs> It's, yeah. just, it's interesting. I was just hanging out with um, another dear friend of mine um, who had, uh, who has a, a young son as well at a, um, shall we say, a more advanced age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he recommend he said I recommend it for everybody because you yeah. get to do it all over again and you have so much more wisdom. What would yeah. you say about that? Yeah, I would I would just totally affirm that and also say joy like. Maybe that's the result of the wisdom, but I just I just enjoy little moments with plastic farm animals and <laughs> reading the same book for the ninth time and uh, yeah, pulling weeds outside, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, because you know by now you know this is a these particular kinds of enjoyments come with this season. Yes. Of life, and yes. they're not the same in other seasons of life. Yes, and uh, so, yeah, I think that's true. If I certainly feel it physically more than I would have at 26 years old, but yeah, I think I do enjoy it in a different way. And and it's so cool, you know. In our case, we have, you know, our older kids, 20, 26, um, 22, and uh, 16, and just to see their love for little Noah and and Noah's enjoyment of them after he gets over his shyness and yep. just uh, this sort of picture our oldest son uses the, the language of a pack hmm. they were a pack together and just envisioning that future the S1 is, pack yeah yeah it's uh, so there's goodness in that yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think about that for Kim and I and I'm just like Oh man, the energy piece is yeah. I, I, I'm more in the headspace of grandkids at, at yes. even at age 44. Yes, um, like I'm think I'm looking forward to that, but um, yeah, that's where we were as well. <laughs> and uh, it's our little guy. This is you're, we're talking on a momentous occasion. Last night was the first time in 17 months that he slept all through the night. Wow. That's 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 a long seventeen. I don't months. want to say too much about. It. I just want to, but we were like, oh my goodness, whatever happens tonight, thank you, Lord, for last mm -hmm. night. Yeah. Yep. Well, I would I would imagine too, Zach. Like, there's just such a different perspective. Um, I mean, we have we experienced that so profoundly between child one and child four. That's true. Isn't and it? Yeah. and you know, as we age, we get more wisdom. Hopefully. Yeah. And we get different perspectives on things. So I would imagine, you know, that you feel like a completely different father than you were 25, 26 years ago. Yeah, I really do. It's true. Our, 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 our third or fourth child won't, won't go to therapy as often or for the same reasons, at least, <laughs> than, our, than, our, than our first and second child might. So, Well, this yeah. is a great opportunity, Zach. Um, because we have so many young families at mm. our church and I would love to hear you just for their sake. Um, I would love to hear you reflect on like, just so you know, like our dominant demographic probably right now is like late, very late twenties, early thirties. Uh, you've got a four year old and a newborn or a three year old and a newborn. I mean, that's, there's a lot of families like that. Yeah. What would you go back and tell your 26 year old self as a first time dad that 
uh, from your perspective right now at 51? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'd probably start with Matthew McConaughey driving his Lincoln. Have you seen those commercials? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to have a conversation with Matthew McConaughey, right? It's, it's, uh, he's playing a character. Um, right. So I'm not picking on him as a human being, you know, right, I mean? right. <laughs> like, but, uh, but the commercial, uh, I think, uh, if I've heard this right, Lincoln, the sales of Lincoln have increased 25% pre COVID, you know, with that commercial series of commercials and, um, and uh, as I've understood it, those commercials have been specifically targeted to millennial men. And, um, and so if I was talking to my younger self, uh, I'm a bit older than a millennial man, but uh, I think there's a lot in that commercial that I'd, that I'd want to untangle, you know? So it'd be something like the picture is uh, you're on the open road, you're by yourself uh, and you're having an adventure and an experience, you know? So like you're, um, you're sitting at the edge of a, like mountains, uh, opening the back hatch of your car and you're ice fishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, a boomer friend of mine said, I've never understood those commercials. Why isn't he inside his car with the heat on? <laughs> you know, why? Why is he outside in the cold with his uh, coffee? And it's like, because he's having an experience. Mm-hmm. He's, he's experiencing things as they are in an authentic way. And that's the longing. And so I would say as a younger man, I, I would have resonated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of a, of a personal experience that's grand and that you achieved and found and had and... Um, and the enjoyment of that. Um, and I'd say the problem now with, with that to the younger self is that, yeah, in that commercial, that character that he's playing has no, uh, seems to have no kids, uh, seems to have no nieces and nephews with birthday parties, uh, seems to have no obligations relationally to anyone. Mm-hmm. And what that means is he has no one to share that experience with. It's it's just himself. And what a younger self wouldn't realize is um, is that that picture becomes a setup for a real unhappy life, mm. Bec- because um, uh, because once you have if 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 you have children. Um, a lot of a lot of folks don't, uh, for various reasons. Living a single life or health reasons can't have kids. But if but if you do, then and you're married, then uh, everything you always dreamed of—being married, having kids, having your own place, doing your own life—now suddenly doesn't look like enough, and it suddenly feels like a grind. And you begin to think, man, I'm missing out. Mm-hmm. I, I never got to do what I always wanted to do. And now you're starting to think, should I trade it all in? You know, I wake, I go to bed at night and then I wake up <laughs> early. I'm changing diapers or I'm wiping noses or, I, you know, I'm figuring out Cheerios and, uh, this doesn't seem like the, the the grand life that I dreamed of and that I was made for. And, uh, and so I think I would start there with a younger self. Uh, so when I dreamt, when I dreamt about making a difference for the Lord, which is how I would have thought of it, mm-hmm. uh, other folks don't share those faith commitments. But for me, I was thinking about making a difference for the Lord. Uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't have in mind, I guess, the actual requirements of an ordinary day in the fallen world. They didn't factor in. And so... Um, kind of like the family might just be along for the ride, but I'm really yeah. kind of driving the, driving the yeah. truck here. 
Yeah. And if y'all want to get well, in, that's fine. But yeah, I'm... but yeah, or, or, or I'm out there and I'll come back and tell you my experience, you know, but then, and, and so while I'm away having my experience, you know, if the character in the commercial does have relational commitments, someone else is doing the ordinary stuff alike. Like someone else is paying his bills to keep the lights on in his right, house, you know, right, somebody else right. is, you know, and, um, and so, so I, I think what I'm hearing you say is just like, um, you know, remembering that family is your ministry. Maybe it's not the sum total of it, but it's certainly a huge part of it. Right. In, yeah. In, in one and, sense. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe that, and if that word ministry feels dour, you know, mm-hmm. I would say, um, the ordinary is the adventure, mm-hmm. uh, traveling 30 years with a person from birth or 70 years, you know, however long we get with our kids, our nieces and nephews, our grandkids, you know, whether it's 10 years or it's 50 years, however long it is, that's an adventure. Uh, and you can only know, uh, the thrills of that adventure and the defeats of that adventure by being on it. And, uh, and the way we view our adventure is impacts those spouses and kids who tag along with us. And that's right. Uh, we're shaping how they think an adventurous good life is supposed to look and feel. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You've, you've written a lot about this. Uh, A lot of people listening to this podcast probably might not be familiar. Um, but I love what you just said. The ordinary is the adventure. And can you unpack that? Because I know that's, that is um, near and dear to your heart in terms of discipleship in general. If we're talking about making disciples, there's something that you're pushing against there in our culture, in a Christian culture. Yeah. Um, and so you're pushing against something and you're advocating for something. Can you help our people understand what you mean by that when you say the ordinary is the adventure and why that's a big deal? Yeah, I'll try to do that. It's something like this. The message all around us is uh, we need a large famous thing as fast as we can. And so you, otherwise you're missing out. And, and then that large famous thing has to become larger, more famous, more fast, more fast. And a lot of us experience that storyline that's the story being told us, you know, at work and at, even at church and things like that. But most of the time, when you look at the Gospels of Jesus, uh, it seems like small, mostly overlooked, o- overlooked graces over a long period of time is where real meaning is at. I think we know that instinctively, you know, you, it, uh, to learn, to be proficient at an instrument mm-hmm. is a small, mostly overlooked thing. Um, you know, in my era, you know, the, the recent show, The Last Dance, in my era, you know, Michael Jordan was the person, like, whatever you think about all that, his his skill was a small, mostly overlooked practice over a long period of time. To a friendship that lasts, a marriage that lasts, parenting, uh, uh, a, a, a small group at church, <laughs> um, it takes one set of skills to start something and another set of skills to stay with it. Mm-hmm. And that, and that set of skills to stay with something includes being able to notice ordinary, often overlooked moments. And, uh, and, and so, uh, our, our, a lot of us lack that skill. Uh, we, a lot of us haven't been trained in wonder and mm-hmm. enchantment. A lot of us, uh, are bored with things that don't bore God. And, um, maybe it's like, you know, when you first, when you were first with, uh, in a romantic sense, you know, to hold, to finally for the first time, hold hands mm-hmm. was huge. I mean, it's such a, a wonder, a mystery, you know, I remember it. <laughs> I remember know, it. <laughs> it's like, just that that moment, everything that goes on in your body and in your mind, and and what that how how that shapes your view of the world, and like, um, just that thing in itself, uh, and you hadn't even kissed yet, and you or much less anything else, and and so somehow we get bored with ordinary wonders, 
And um, but that's probably why a grandparent or a great grandparent, you know, maybe they maybe they didn't enjoy so much playing with a, a plastic cow and saying moo, you know, mm. on a living room floor at four forty-five or five thirty in the morning. But somehow, as a grandparent, they're like, "This is wonderful." Right. Um, and um, yeah, so the there was there was uh, an, an ordinary smile, uh, a kiss, a mm, playing, making food together. I mean, these are the things that make a life go. And there's a lot of joy in them that God has given us, but they're small and mostly overlooked. Uh, and so we can feel like we're in a grind. I was talking to a guy, a uh, dear man, uh, not too long ago, earnest provider, earnest with the Lord, earnest for his family, but but just trying to give language to I, uh, he, um, work and kids and family all feel like a grind. And, you know, if you ask him, what would be your best day? It would be like, he's by himself, mm-hmm. you know, with no one around. And, uh, and we're trying to talk about that. And like, so, and his prayer is, how do I get some time to myself? And that's a good one. That That's important. Uh, but his wife would need that too. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and so we're, we're talking about, you know, where do I start? And I just like, well, we do need to figure out some practical ways for you guys to get some time to yourself. That's absolutely true. But also we got to pray this thing that we might not want to pray. And that is Lord, show me the wonder of children. You know, I'm overlooking. So I no longer see the joy and, um, uh, Help me, help me see it. Uh, and and now we're on an adventure. We're on a journey. We're we're climbing a mountain, and we've lost our way, and we don't know how to get through the pass. And we're asking for a guide to help us see something small again, because mm-hmm. it's the it's the small again thing that actually will revive the heart. And um, yeah, so something like that. So let me um, be the. Um... Let me ask you to help me understand something because I know you live this way and I know you um, advocate for this and I and you believe it and I believe it and seeing the fruit of this and why it's so important for parenting and just existence in general. But I look at, at who you are and who God has gifted you to be and some might say, Man, you're very extraordinary just in that you're a pastor, seminary professor, you write lots of books, you've gotten some awards. And uh, so how do you think about the ordinary? I mean, is the ordinary at the exclusion of things that are extraordinary at times? Or how do those work together? How do you seek to work those together? Yeah, well, it's, man, that's just a great question. Um, Here's a couple of random thoughts, <laughs> you know, uh, one unsustainable two, it only happened once three. I still had to brush my teeth. We'll see if I can right, remember. Right, right. Uh, one unsustainable. So the current, like the, the, so professor, pastor, writer, parent, uh, husband, uh, that's not sustainable. In a, over a long period of time, and mm-hmm. so I have a I have a community of people, where I'm I'm just naming that, and actually over the last several months, that community of people who know us best have been helping us discern what we what we have to do to get back into a, to to remain in a sustainable uh, rhythm of life, uh, and so um, it's it, it would be like a family that decides. Um, one of them's going to finish, you know, they're going to finish up a degree or they're going to get that master's degree. Yep. And the fa- everybody knows that that's not a sustainable pace for the family for the next eight years, but we're going to go for it for two years. We're going to do that in community with help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that can't become the norm of our life. And so I think a younger Zach didn't know that you couldn't do all that and not sustain, you know? Yeah. So, so maybe there's a time for extraordinary things for certain seasons, but it's not a lifestyle. Yeah. Right. There's a season for everything. The Bible will tell us it's using Mm -hmm. that farming analogy. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a, 
a farmer will have seasons of harvest. And when it's a season of harvest, sun up to sundown, you know, six days a week, uh, if they're, you know, biblical rhythm and all that, sun up to sundown. Mm-hmm. And they're not home for a meal, you know, it's getting in late and all that. But if, uh, but if harvest is all they do, then the land can't sustain it, the animals can't sustain it, the family can't sustain it, you know. They have to be able to give the land rest, the animals rest. They have to be able to pause and sharpen their tools. Right. So there's, a, there's that, you know, there's that resting, uh, cultivating, planting, harvesting. Yeah. Um, or like some of our frontline people right now uh, in this COVID moment, who are caregivers, they're in crisis mode. And um, that is not sustainable. Right. You, it, and the longer it goes on, we all recognize it. You know, we, we say, okay, our, those frontline caregivers are like frontline soldiers. They got to have some time of R and R to go to the back. Um, so in order to come back up again. And so that crisis, some of us are living as if we're in constant crisis or more positively constant harvest, but either way, the positive or the negative imagery, we have to be able to rest. Yes. And, uh, so it's unsustainable. Uh, it's unsustainable. And uh, and then uh, the other one was something like, I, I'm remembering brush my teeth. <laughs> so I'll go yes. to the third one, brush my teeth. Um, and that was uh, when you get an award, you still have to brush your teeth. The next, you still have to decide if you're going to brush your teeth that night or not. Um, you still have to go to the bathroom. You, you still have to love people. Uh, uh, you still have to let your little one sit on your lap and read uh, baby, sh- go baby shark for the 15th <laughs> time. And, yep. uh, and, uh, and so it's, there's an allusion to the award. Uh, it's a nice moment, but, but really what the award is, is about some aspect of your public gifts and, um, the award relating to the whole of your life really is reflected in the relationships that you have. And I know that sounds like it's a wonderful life. And George Bailey didn't know how rich he was till he had people in his life. That's really a biblical notion Mm -hmm. uh, where Paul talks about living epistles. You know, he didn't, um, the people in his life. And so the way, um, so no matter what award I have, uh, my kids know who I am. Uh, and, and if I win awards and my kids experience in a different person, then, uh, eventually, uh, uh, the sense of award, I guess, in your family, you lose it. And, uh, so I don't know, I'm just trying to say, you still have to take out the garbage. I don't know. Uh, yeah. The- and then, I was yeah. just going to say the like the extraordinary stuff that we sometimes pursue. And maybe in your case, you know, I, I want to write the next book and I want it to be really good and maybe I'll get an award for that. That stuff has to be grounded by the reality that I live with people that um, are not impressed by me. Yes. Yeah. What a freeing gift that is. Um, few of us have it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us have people that only applaud us all the time. They only see our best moments. And that's just such a dangerous place to be. And that's why we have affairs. That's why our ministries implode, you know, stuff like that. And then others of us are surrounded by systems or people who only see our worst moments. And that's all they ever see. And that's why we're weighed down with shame and guilt and uh, held back and drawn into various unhealthy um, ways of coping. And in the Gospels, just the Lord Jesus, uh, uh, he disagrees with us, uh, and but still loves us, <laughs> you know, and um, he doesn't affirm everything about us and yet still loves us. So our worst moment isn't the last word. He sees it and knows it. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only thing true about us, and he knows that. And when he sees everything good about us, he also knows that we need a Savior and mm-hmm. uh, and so to be with a, a rooted community of people who, who know that our worst moment and our best moment isn't the whole story. Right. And they love us. Right. And they cheer for us. 
I mean, that's, we need that. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, and that, that's what will sustain us, you know, through good times and bad and things like that. So it's illusion. You have to be a human. Remember you're a human being that brushes their teeth and all that. Yeah, you're not, yeah. you're not some rock star. You're actually a human being. Well, do you remember the third one? Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. You'll 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 listen back to this and then you'll that's know right. what it was. <laughs> we'll do podcast part two. Uh, that's right. Uh, it's not sustainable, and there's an allusion to the award, and so, um, yeah. And I think um, too. I guess I don't know if this is what I said, but uh, there's just uh, yeah. I think I've just said it. Everything ordinary. Um, about our life is just still there. Yeah. So, so, but you're not saying that we shouldn't um, pursue. Oh, that's unique... what it is. It, it only happened once. That's oh, what it gotcha. was. It only yeah. happened once. What it only that happened mean? once. That's that's Peter uh, preaching, and three thousand people came to know Jesus, and it never happened again. That makes sense. That's worth thinking about. It is worth thinking about. Yeah. Never happened again, and. Yep. Uh, and and how could I mean, and and so uh, the mindset of sort of that upwardly mobile mindset that seeps into our that's cultural and worldly but seeps into our Christianity um, leads us to believe if 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 that happened to me right a uh, younger version of me and I preached and that many people came I would be trying to figure out how to how to how to have that happen again manufacture that baby. Yeah, how do we how do we do that again? Mm-hmm. And and I would be prone to think that if it didn't happen again, I was doing something wrong. Yes. Um, and if it did happen again, that's because I'm uniquely anointed, uh, rather than Peter's a mess. <laughs> you know, I mean, he he has even you know after after those thousands of people came to know the Lord, he's being rebuked by the Apostle Paul. He's still figuring out fear. You know. Yep. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it only happened once. And so if some of us feel as if we've never had that many people come to know the Lord, or we never reached Matthew McConaughey, whatever it was, we feel like we've missed out. And the Lord just doesn't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. He's not operating on that narrative. And others of us feel like we have to have that. And if we did have a moment like that, how do we recreate it? And um yeah, Peter just had to live the rest of his life without never happening happening again. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably it was a mercy because they had to disciple three thousand people right. all of a sudden, right. you know. And and that and now we're right back to small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. We don't know the names of all those people. Right, they're unknown to us, uh, but they the Lord knows their names, and and for those people, those two come out of their various uh, worldviews and beliefs and gods and goddesses and all the sexuality, sexual practices that were going on in the Roman world and the, how that would have translated with the Jewish listeners, all that stuff. I mean, that would have been a lot of life on life, day by day, small, mostly overlooked, learning the grace of God for their life, mm-hmm. getting over their compulsions, getting over their memories, their regrets, the mm-hmm. um, and that's just a small thing day by day that grows. And, yep. uh, the ordinary yeah. is the adventure. Yeah. So like, um, and if you think about it, our, I don't know, whatever, what the, the big thing about World War II, you know, uh, is that when the war ended, everybody, you, you win the war so everybody can do what? They can finally go back to work. Yeah. Uh, they, the people, soldiers can come home. Families can be together again. People can make love again. Uh, start can, families. Yeah. Start. Fa- There's you know, a baby boom, baby boom, you know, or in our movies, you know, when Superman saves Metropolis, why, what is, what does Metropolis need? They just need the freedom to be unharassed so that they can go to work, right. uh, have a family, fall in love, you know, and um, age and care for one another, and so the big the big thing that we accomplish in our stories uh, is most often the redeeming ones, so that we can go back to Eden, <laughs> yeah. some sense of what we were made for and what's coming in the new kingdom. Yeah. 
but all of this discussion, I, I think I know you would say like, it's not that we shouldn't pursue extraordinary things if that's what it feels like we're supposed to do. Yeah. But be careful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, um, yeah, pursue greatness. Um, get after it. Just make sure it, it's the greatness as Jesus defines it. Right. Because um, our Western cultural story, uh, pursuing being great and unique, uh, to distance yourself from anybody else, to show how you uh, are not like other people, uh, and to do a, a great thing. It's just um, making sure that it's great how Jesus defines it. And so we could think we're great if we made a lot of money, and we just know biblically, not necessarily. Um, blessed are the poor. Right. Um, blessed are the meek. Right. And and so we're brought back to how Jesus defines a blessed life, or um, or like when his disciples, you know, James and John, and and uh, and their mom thinks it's a great idea to talk to Jesus. We we want to sit on your right hand and your left, you know. Uh, when you're in your glory, you know, this is all about you. When you're in your glory, we want to be, we want to be situated. So when everyone else looks at you, they see us. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord, the Lord is so patient and kind. And he's so kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he calls them all together. You remember? Yeah. And, and he just says, uh, Hey, the Gentiles do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, that's not how we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, yep, if, yep. if 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 you have those seats, that's not mine to give. That's the father's to give. What we're going to do is, if you want to be the greatest, learn to be the least. And um, so I think you know someone asked uh, someone asked me not too long ago, who you think is the the greatest um, preacher right now? You know, in our moment. And I just remembered a quote from Billy Graham. Some of our listeners might not know Billy Graham, but he was a uh, a prominent preacher years ago, globally known, and uh, and he had someone had asked him that question: Who do you think who's the most prominent Christian right now, or preacher? And and Billy Graham wisely said, I, "I'm sure we don't know. Um, I'm sure the one uh, most to be honored is probably unknown by us." Right. Um, and that sounds. Wow, what a grace given to that person, Billy Graham, to be able to say something like that and and to know it. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So greatness as Jesus defines it, and that means probably a stamina for being overlooked by a particular um, brand presentation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it's kind of like the person that changes the diapers every day. Yep. Uh, is doing a great thing. I mean, you remove that from a child's life and you just, uh, a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so all that ordinary stuff is really big. So that's what we need. So go for it. Uh, 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 but remember how Jesus defines greatness. Yeah. I think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of greatness in little things. Right. That's a well. That's well said. A lot of greatness in little things. Yeah. Ordinary is the adventure. I think of the biblical category of selfish ambition versus yeah, godly go. ambition. Yeah. And um, yeah, let's let's go for it. Uh, let's not be afraid of the ordinary. Let's not be afraid to pray big things and take risks for the glory of God, and and not uh, necessarily be constrained to the American dream, but. Like, what's the, my motivation? And yeah. I mean, I just look back at my life and think of like, you know, you, you never know for sure, but how much of my leadership in, in lo- local church, I know a lot of it was fueled by selfish ambition. And, you know, I never would have said it at the time. Yeah. Um, but being on stage as a musician and having people appreciate what you do, like that can be really seductive and addictive. Yeah. And man, like... Was who, who, you know, we did some neat things and recorded yeah. music and traveled and played concerts and da 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 da. But 
Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, it's sort of like we we don't recognize that we're in a cultural narrative that would say that is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Being a celebrity separated from knowing anything about your character, we value that. Yeah. Isn't and, that um, unique? Yeah. And, uh, but the, the Gospels would say, you know, the Lord gave you those gifts and um, you went and played music and, and, and all that. And yet, still at the end of the day, it's like, who do you love? And mm-hmm. uh, the sum of the law. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me too of like the qualifications for eldership. Hmm. Very ordinary. Very ordinary yeah, it things. Sure is right. <laughs> Very ordinary. Th- I mean, ordinary in a sense. Like, in, in certain contexts, it might not be. Um, it it might not. It, what am I saying? In certain contexts, it may be very unique if you're not a lover of money, or if you're right. not uh, a drunkard, or, or you're not abusive of your wife. In certain contexts, we can imagine that. But for us, like typically, like being patient, gentle, um, not full of rage faithful to your wife like it sounds kind of boring it's like <laughs> like pretty yeah. ordinary you know yeah. but that's what the lord is looking for right yeah yeah it is and that's the freedom that that's why it's good news because uh if if love you know as paul says in first corinthians 13 if if you have all these things but without love doesn't mean much or doesn't mean anything that's freeing because that means then that you can be rich or poor, uh, whatever gender, whatever age, uh, whatever uh, ethnicity, and being able to do an excellent, great thing isn't dependent upon any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. The other angle I think about too with this discussion, Zach, is um, is thinking of yourself as connected. Mm. So um, I think about like, you never hear about, to use your example, to use Billy Graham, you never hear about Billy Graham's mom. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and yeah. you never hear about his um, grandpa. Yeah. But I bet, I would be willing to bet that those people lived a very ordinary life, but they were connected to him. And their very ordinary life enabled him to be who he was you know, on the human side of things, be, be who he was and and fostered the kind of gifts that he had and put him in a different context. And you may not have had this unique work of God, but he yeah. was connected to other people. And so maybe my ordinary life is going to lead to something that's very extraordinary, but it's just not all about me. I yeah. might not see it until eternity. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's this... Uh... There's this movie called My Cousin Vinny, and uh, there's a fun scene where, uh, you know, depending on your listeners, there's language in this movie. So, um, you know, however you approach that. But uh, there's a scene where he, uh, he, he wants to be able to do something all by himself. Mm-hmm. And he keeps running into a position where he needs help. And uh, the line back to him is, uh, this, it's so awful you'll do this great thing and then you'll have to walk over to someone and say, thank you. Uh, you know, that, that's so terrible a life, you know, right. um, whereas you, or you don't do the great thing and there's no one to thank which, which one would you rather have? Yeah, you know, it's just, yeah. um, and so, uh, but it's difficult because we're just in a cultural swirl of what makes you unique. That's, you got to prove that you're unique. It's all about you. And, uh, yeah. And it really uh, shrinks our inner life because we um, we can no longer see beautiful things. It's kind of like um, uh, when I was younger, there is always a story about a, a Russian cosmonaut. I've tried to look this up to see. And some people say it's a legend and some people say it actually happened. But the Russians went to space and uh, this fame, one of the astronauts famously said, uh, I don't see God, you know, mm-hmm. we're here and I don't see God. And, you know, you think about that and the, if it happened, it's a, it's a human being taking his voice for granted, you know, assuming his voice, assuming language, assuming the ability to make meaning, assuming the rocket, assuming space, assuming everything else. And none of that counts as data. Right. 
the, right. the universe that he's staring right, into. Right, right. None of that counts as data. I don't see God, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as Christians, I think there's a similar way we do that. And it's kind of like you look out in God's world. Um, you look at the love right in front of you in your living room, uh, the beauty around you, the provision of a closet and a floor beneath your feet. And it, we, we look at all this, the enjoyment of music, and 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 but none of that counts. Right. Because I want something we, more. That's right. So God, where are you? Yeah. Uh, and and we're saying, God, where are you? In clothes that someone <laughs> provided for us with a voice that still works, which is no guarantee in the fallen world, and mm-hmm. a, uh, and um, and the energy to ask. And yeah, the list yeah. goes on and on, right? Yeah, we just need a lot of help, you know, to to remember. So sometimes we're we have a wealthy person's problem. Not that we're necessarily wealthy in the means of the you know in the world but but we are comparatively speaking and we just forget what we have i'm always struck by um the that question we looked at when uh james and john asked you know can mm-hmm. i sit on your right hand or your left and jesus our lord says what do you want me to do for you uh and that's where they tell him to answer that question and then the very next thing that happens after he does that classroom discussion the gentiles are like this it won't be like that with you the next thing that happens is they walk they walk on their way to jericho and there's blind bartimaeus and bartimaeus is is an outsider on the margins and he's calling out son of david have mercy on me and then jesus walks over to bartimaeus and asks him the same question yeah what do you want me to do for you I was thinking, that's got to be so humbling for James and John. They were just saying, we want to be on your right and your left. And then the same privilege is afforded this person who's not a part of the entourage. And and it's humbling because that person, Bartimaeus, asks for sight. Mm-hmm. And I would never think to pray for sight because I assume it. Right. But then you look around in the in God's world that's broken and not yet remade, and you realize, oh, sight's not a given. Mm-hmm. So I'm my, the starting place for our prayers are already assuming a lot. Yeah, yeah. And because because of that, we can think we're missing out um, in in a way that we're really not. Um, but we need each other's help, you know, to be able to yeah, see that kind like, of stuff. Lord, give me eyes to see. Yeah. Like I want to see as you see. I want to. I want to be in awe of my child, and in awe of a sunrise, and in awe of the tree in my front yard, and. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really, an amazing um, way to look at things, and so refreshing, so unique so overlooked in terms of our discipleship i think um so i man i appreciate you saying that and it's been such a blessing for me as a pastor because you know pastors oftentimes are the most you know selfishly ambition people in the whole church and you never know it because you're hiding under all these good things that you're doing and everyone you know but um yeah but yeah that's really really good um I wanted to ask you, Zach, about a couple of the the books that you've written. I know um, you're famous for your books on pastoral ministry and preaching. Uh, famous, yeah. There, there's that word. Yeah, yeah, my son, my son Caleb, my son Caleb calls will say, "Your dad, you're Christian famous." Christian famous, right? Yeah, it's a totally different deal. <laughs> That's right. Christian famous. There's famous and there's Christian famous. That's right. No, for real, for real. Yeah. Um, but a couple of the books that I don't think we've ever even talked about is mm-hmm. you wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. and you wrote a book on Spurgeon and his wrestling with depression. Yeah. And I, th- I, I haven't read it. I want to, yeah. uh, no offense. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> <I'm taken. laughs> um, but, uh, I assume when that book you apply things for people, modern day people dealing with depression. Yeah. Yeah. So, Talk to me about Ecclesiastes. Like, why? Why? I know you love the wisdom literature. I know you love that book of the Bible. Um, why is Ecclesiastes so important for our discipleship? Honestly, it's a book I've never preached through. It seems really intimidating to me. Yeah. Uh, it's not an easy read. It's confusing. 
Um, but I know you love Ecclesiastes. So help us yeah. understand why we should spend time in Ecclesiastes. Well, first, first of all, everything we've just been talking about, <clears throat> the reason we don't get everything we've just been talking about is because we're not familiar with the wisdom literature because the, the wisdom literature assumes everything we've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and once we're become more familiar with the wisdom literature, the gospels begin to pop because we begin to see Jesus is regularly drawing upon the wisdom, uh, paradigm and it's, it'll blow your mind. Mm. And, uh, the fullness of Jesus uh, begins to. So, so the this idea that um, we can't know everything, we can't fix everything, we can't be everywhere at once. That a small, mostly overlooked thing over a long period of time is where it's at, rather than a large, famous, fast thing. Yep. Is is a wisdom literature point of view. Hmm. And so we really need we need that we need it. That's why it's one of my faves because uh, I call that. Um, uh, that book, Recovering Eden, because um, scholars will point out how Ecclesiastes is really leaning heavily on the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Mm. And, um, and it's, like, uh, it's, like, um, it's like a soldier who went away and then came home and, and, and everything is in ruins uh, that once was beautiful. And so it's like that. He's looking out at life under the sun, the same son that God spoke into being and looking at what it is now. And he's saying meaningless, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is, um, pain, uh, loss, grief. And, um, and so that's, that's one thing, just, um, that's a big category of everything we were just talking about the earthiness. Yeah. There's nothing better. This keeps coming back to it. There's nothing better than to enjoy your work, uh, your food, your drink, uh, you're the wife of your youth. If you're married, um, these are God's gifts to you. And so that's Eden. Yeah. To recovery there. So that's one thing. And then the second thing for our cultural moment, um, as, uh, where we're located, uh, we're, uh, our church is a faith minority and, and you might be as well there in Madison, sure. but yep. faith minority where we are. And so we're, we're no longer, uh, at the head of the table calling the meeting, uh, we may not even be invited to the table. And if we are, it's an invitation and it's a low end of the table. And um, one of the things about Ecclesiastes is it's personal. The preacher, is, it's like you're reading his diary. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't sound like Paul and it doesn't sound like Isaiah. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's just telling you everything he feels. And the second thing about that, that means his way of knowing uh, fits our cultural moment and sounds a lot like Jesus's parables and his way of knowing. So like a, a way of knowing that a person my age was taught was think in order to feel, in order to do. Think right, then you'll feel right, then you'll do right. Mm -hmm. uh, Ecclesiastes is the opposite. Have an experience, do something, feel and then think. Hmm. And the Lord's stories are like that too. Here's an experience. What do you make of it? How does it make you feel? What do you think about it? And uh, Parables, right? Yeah, parables. Uh, and so um, Ecclesiastes has that epistemo epistemological approach, that way of knowing. Mm -hmm. It's inductive. The reason it's hard to get through is because you don't know what the main point is till the end. Yeah, that's um, to... that's not easy for our Western education. Yeah, especially if we're still operating on a on an Enlightenment modernist paradigm. Right. So throw out some big words there, but <laughs> um, you know, and so uh, younger people um, are. It's just suited for them. Um, they get to hear a person's experience. They get to hear someone say. They get to hear a God talker say, what's this business that God has given us? Uh, some days it'd be better to be dead. Yeah. And, and what happens is for an evangelical, like um, 
I don't mean that politically. I mean that in terms of belief, like a Bible believing person were like, whoa, you can't talk like that. Solomon, you need more faith, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but a person um, who's in the real world under the sun, uh, they say, my goodness, I didn't know the Bible could name my experience like that. Amen. And so we're drawn into it. And, um, and so for lots of other reasons, that book, in particular, but the wisdom literature in general, just tailor tailor made for our cultural moment. So that'd be a place I'd start with someone who's not a Christian who's wanting to be authentic. Yeah. And I know in an earlier generation, maybe we would start with the Book of John or something. I would. I wouldn't be afraid to start with Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Tell us the story of. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Its emphasis is creation and providence. Creation and providence. So it's looking at redemption, but big doses of creation and providence. What's it? Uh, I think this is Solomon who wrote this, but mm -hmm. scholars differ on that. But uh, whether it's Solomon or it's done in the name of Solomon, it's like removing the king of Israel garb and then talking as a human being. I'm in the same world you are. I watch the same news you do, and this is what I see and experience. And it's like the common ground mm -hmm. is our real-time experience in in this life under the sun and what to make of it. Mm. And so all those all those questions and feelings that are disorienting, and um, it just gives gives language for it. So, tell us a brief story of of Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, and uh, and his suffering with depression. Well, that book is like um, I use Spurgeon as a as a as a friend, a traveling guide. I talk about my own depression and anxiety, and along with others that I know, and he's like a trusted friend um, that helps us in a non-trite uh, way um, think about our depression and anxiety. And what makes him so helpful as a traveling companion is that he, he felt he's, he's a 19th century Baptist preacher who's way ahead of his time. And, um, and he just believed that depression had three sources and uh, big D depression um, had three sources. It could come from our circumstances. It could come from our biology, our chemistry, and uh, it could come from a spiritual source. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes all three tangle together. And he also felt there was no cure. And, um, but that doesn't mean there isn't hope. Mm -hmm. That's a, there's a powerful difference there. So there's no quick fix, right. uh, but there is hope. And uh, so a quick story would be, let's see. So he, uh, he wrestled with bouts of depression all his life uh, and uh, became a real helper to others in their sorrows. And uh, one of the things he says is, um, he, gives, he, says, he says it like this, <laughs> it's startling. He said, sometimes those of us in sorrow don't need to hear of the cross. They don't need to hear about the cross. Yeah, wow. It, it's of no help. He didn't mean that ultimately. This is this is Charles Spurgeon, Bible believing right. yeah. preacher of Christ. He wrote the book. All he of wrote, Grace. That's that right. You know, he's saying <laughs> he stood for the Bible and is it? Yeah, all those things. But he said he's talking experientially. Sometimes it's not the cross that the poor despondent person needs. Sometimes the 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 telling of the resurrection is of no help. Sometimes what uh, what the sorrowing need is Gethsemane. Hmm. They need a savior who wept there like blood. Yeah. And, uh, and then Spurgeon says, because there at Gethsemane, you don't see a general standing at the back telling all of the soldiers to go forward first. There at Gethsemane, the general takes the lead. Mm. He goes first. Yeah. And he suffers what Spurgeon calls mental depression. Those are his words. Jesus suffered mental depression in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm -hmm. and there we find a fellow friend. Those are his words. That's and some, sometimes 
the provisions of the cross and the provisions of the resurrection aren't felt or tangible to us in our sorrows. And what we need is a fellow friend and we have one in Jesus. That's beautiful. Um, did you feel like for you in your own struggles with that, that it was um, debilitating at times? Yeah. Yeah. I have never, um, my uh, challenges move more in the direction of anxiety than depression. And so what I mean by that, those are two different things. What I mean mm -hmm. by that, so I've never been as some of my friends and colleagues have been, you know, completely debilitated by depression. Uh, the, uh, the maze of that kind of darkness. I've known um, pockets of that. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what is more normative for me and more regular is anxiety, which functions as um, a threat, a fear. Um, your body goes into flight response. Right as if you there's a lion or as if there's somebody uh, gonna do gonna do you harm and of course it's a sunny day and there's you're safe <laughs> and, mm -hmm. but your whole body is responding that way and it feels like you're gonna um, you're either going crazy you're gonna have a heart attack uh, or you're gonna pass out and of course none of those things are gonna happen um, but your whole body is acting as if it is and it comes on you without you don't know why. Mm -hmm. And someone like Spurgeon is so helpful because he'll just say, you cry and cry and cry and you don't even know why. Yep. And, uh, and so the, for me, um, I can become despondent. But like I'm trying to say, I've not known that to the degree that others have known. It. What I've known more is uh, paralyzed by fear. Mm -hmm. And um, that comes from trauma. So for me, that's a circumstantial, I'm melancholy by temperament and, but I have trauma in my circumstances and in, in the providences of God. Yeah. And those traumas can be triggered. And sometimes my body, our bodies react. Um, we don't, we're not even aware that we're thinking about um, the thing and our bodies signal it first. And, uh, when that happens, you know, we, we do what you do, you, what, what God would give us to do. You, you check your nutrition, you, you uh, see a doctor, and you talk to a counselor and your closest friends um, who remind you of, of God's promises, but also of God's creation and, uh, and God's people. So, yeah, so I think it's a mistake. Um, we perhaps, I'm not, I'm just, I'll risk saying this and you can edit it. <laughs> like a, I think, I think we make a mistake when we imply that anxiety is a sin hmm. uh, with, without qualification for that. Certainly we can sin in our anxiety, but the fact of being a, afraid uh, can be a very wise thing. And so, if uh, if you're walking toward uh, Lake Michigan for the first time and or an ocean and your two year old grabs your leg and is scared, that two year old is not sinning. Mm -hmm. If uh, two o'clock in the morning there's a noise in your house and you're walking toward that noise and your ha your heart is pounding and your body is sweating, you're not sinning. Mm -hmm. That's a sane response to what you're walking toward. And those of us who've known trauma in our life uh, are responding sanely to uh, the things that we experienced. This mm -hmm. is how you would respond if that happened to you. And mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean we can't sin in the midst of our anxiety. And it doesn't mean that there's no anxiety that isn't sinful. But when Paul says... Um, don't be anxious in Philippians. I, very dear brothers who I'll be in heaven with by the grace of God and Christ um, will disagree with me on this. But um, though, um, when, when, when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, don't be afraid, 
He's not calling her a sinner. He's not saying she's a coward. Mm-hmm. It's right to be afraid in the presence of an angel. And the angel pastorally says, you don't have to be. Right. And so when Paul's writing to the Philippians, the whole tone of that letter, you know, um, he's just saying, don't be anxious. Well, here's what you do when you are. Mm-hmm. And then there's that whole provision, yeah. you know, for the anxious. And so, um, and we know that Paul tells us in other places he's anxious. His anxiety for the churches and things like that. And your example of Jesus in Gethsemane. Yes. So, so all I'm urging for there is just a nuance, nuance with that. You know, yes. you can hear me saying it. Certainly I can send as a response to the fear I have. Yeah, because we can walk through so much of the Bible and see over and over again God calling his people to not be afraid. Yes. I mean, I was just meditating on it today, and you can help me think through this. Um, yeah. Because my sermon for Sunday is Jesus walking on the water. Yes, and right. And it's a whole theme. The whole theme of that is fear, and Jesus yes. speaks into their fear. Yes. And they realize who he is as the Son of God. Yes. As he speaks into their fear. It says they were terrified. Yes. And so they're terrified of this person walking on the water. So yeah, that's kind of the first point of my sermon is it, I would be terrified. I think that's a normal response if somebody's yes. walking on the water and I don't know who they are. Yes. Um, it's a ghost. I don't know. Yeah. 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 But, uh, and then Peter's afraid of the waves. Yes. Um, there's an invitation in that kind of fear, which seems different than, um, say, the rebuke in the book of Revelation about cowardice, being mm-hmm. a coward. Mm-hmm. Or it's like when um, when the when all the folks in Joshua 1 keep telling Joshua several times, um, be courageous, be strong and courageous. You know, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, that old thing. You think, why do they keep telling Joshua that? Is Joshua known to be a scaredy cat? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, no, <laughs> Joshua is not known for that. He, he and Caleb are the ones saying, come on, let's take the giants in the land. You know, like, right. he's Moses' right-hand man. There's nothing we know anything about Joshua that he's tempted to being cowardly. Um, it would be more true to that text, wouldn't it, to say, to see that Moses has died. Um, they're going to have to enter the promised land. And that's a daunting task for anybody. And the people of God are saying, um, be strong and courageous. And so it's not that um, Joshua is a coward and they're having to tell him, be strong and courageous. It says a human being um, in the circumstances that he's in and they're saying, be strong and courageous. And trying to discern those differences throughout the scripture. When, uh, when the fear is a cowardly fear, and a sinful fear, mm-hmm. an, an unbelief, and when the fear is a, an appropriate response to what's happening, and then the invitation to not be afraid, or as Paul was saying in Philippians 4, here's what you do in the midst of that. Yeah, good, good, good conversations we can have about that, but yeah, I, long, I, I, long for the, yeah, I long for those who have been sinned against um, for preachers and teachers to give them a break. Yeah. To not just tell them uh, because they're feeling afraid in light of being treated by a fearful thing, they're automatically sinning. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's almost it, without intending it, uh, we can create a double wound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can think of that. Um, probably even in my own parenting where there was, you know, you're just not thinking with nuance about a fear of your child. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's a time to, there's a time to rebuke and there's a time to not. And, uh, the Bible probably gives us a category for both. And, um, but I, I, I do deeply resonate with what you're saying there about oftentimes, um, we envision the Lord just yelling at us all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. knock it off. And that's what I'm wrestling yeah. with in this in this text for this Sunday. Well, when people hear this, it will be yeah. the past Sunday. Right. Um, of just like, what is Jesus's tone when he says, oh, you have little faith. Yeah. And why did you doubt? 
or yeah. don't be afraid. It is I when he's yeah. walking on the water. Um, yeah, he loves them. Mm -hmm. He's going to give his own life for them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's so it has to be qualitatively different than woe to you. Right. To the Pharisees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zach, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time. This has been such a rich well, it's conversation. Great. I, yeah, I'm so glad we got to chat. I, it's really, really good. And uh, I just want to say how um, how blessed I've been by your life, um, how much you've meant to me in your writing. I give out your pastoral ministry book um, as required reading to anybody that I'm mentoring or, or trying to help out. Um, so thank you for for using your gifts in extraordinary ways as you live amidst the ordinary of your 17-month-old son who wants to play plastic farm animals on the floor. I'm sure you can go <laughs> home right. tonight and do that. Yep. And, um, so thank you so much. Honestly, uh, I really, really appreciate this conversation. It's very unique and it's so necessary, I think, for people to hear. So thank you for your voice. Thank you for what... Um, meant to me and what this podcast will, will I hope mean to our church thanks so much Zach it's just a privilege to travel with you and uh, learn together so uh, yeah thanks a lot 